Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asha Pangers, and as always, it's really nice to have you here. I'm pleased to be uh, offering our 27th episode with a very lovely person, and I will tell you about it in just a moment. As always, I typically have an announcement, and I have an announcement today. Part of my announcement is to let folks know who are um, not already enrolled in receiving my newsletter, which you can do by just going to livinginthesqueerbody.com, and there will be a pop-up, and you can just put your email um, address in there. But for those of you who haven't gotten my newsletter, my update is that my practice is... Personal practice, private practice, uh, is full, and so are my um, one-on-one spots right now. So I'm really focusing on doing that work and trying to sustainably make the podcast happen um, every other week. If you're interested in helping me to make that more sustainable, I would love a donation. You can either do that through um, the link in the show notes, or you can go to livingthisqueerbody.com and there is a button that you can click and it says support. So that would be great. But in the meantime, I have an offering that is going to be fully announced probably in about a couple of weeks, uh, maybe a month. And it is going to be a three-month program intensive that follows the theme of trying to find ease in our fluctuating bodies, our oftentimes disembodied bodies, our bodies that require patience and care. And that is the teaser. <laughs> I guess the, the program itself, the details will be coming out soon in about a month, but the structure is an intimate group of people who commit to um, working together uh, over the course of three months with me. And if that is something that is potentially interesting for you, there's going to be a link in the show notes and also a link on my website to sign up for the waitlist to find out about the, the program. It'll be a relatively intimate group and I think we'll do some amazing work if my workshops and the feeling I get during and after the workshops is any indication of what um, working more intensively with all of you who are invested in some of the same questions I am um, might be, then I think it's going to be a really cool experience. So again, that waitlist link will be in the newsletter. It'll be on my website. And if you have any questions, I'll answer them in about a month. (laughs) But put your name on the the list so you can find out more. And I want to let you know that during the recording of this episode 27, a 
relatively loud rainstorm began. Um, so hopefully you can listen to this lovely conversation while you also enjoy the winter rain pelting my office window. And I think it's going to be uh, hopefully not super noticeable. I have a wonderful editor who can do a lot of amazing things with sound, but not with the intensity of the, the rain that was happening this day. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I was really pleased to be speaking with uh, Gloria Noto. Uh, she and I talk about the power of incubating yourself in your artistic practice, life as a queer first-generation Sicilian, activism as identity, growing in power during the Detroit punk scene as a youth, and much more. Uh, Gloria was a really generous and warm guest, and I hope you enjoy the episode and learn more about all the things that she is doing. Gloria Noto is the founder of Noto Botanics, a non-binary natural product line. You can connect with all things Noto at Noto underscore botanics on Instagram or notobotanics.com. And if you're in LA, they now have a flagship store that just opened in Highland Park. So I hope you continue listening, continue sending me your feedback, sign up for the waitlist to potentially work more intensively with me in the spring. And thank you as always for your support. Hi, Gloria. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, me too. I'm really glad we're able to do this. And I, I just want to mention that you are, we're talking kind of right around the time that you are launching a really big project, which we will get into um, later, mm-hmm. or continuing to launch <laughs> a big project. Um, mm-hmm. And so I definitely appreciate you taking the time to chat um, to yeah, chat during the midst of all that frenzy. Um, totally. So I guess, you know, the way I typically like to start is by asking folks to reflect on some of their earliest memories of being in a body or learning about being in a body, like messages you received or mm-hmm. anything anything around embodiment and early memories. Yeah, I, I have I have very early memories of mm. of both of these things. I, I'm I, I think I could answer something for both of the like both of the questions, me being in a person my personal body and then me being aware of bodies. Uh, uh-huh. I have a I have a much older sister. She's um sixteen years older than I am. Mm. And my so as a kid, as a very small kid, I like kind of idolized her. She was my bigger sister and she was so cool and so beautiful and she was <clears throat> she was very different than she is very different than me, even still. We've been very different ever since I was born. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. I just kind of remember seeing 
basically what I mean by that is that she's she's like the traditional sense of what a woman in like a patriarchal or like very feminine or femme version mm. of a woman very like voluptuous long hair big lips you know very curvy and I remember as a child kind of always looking up to her and seeing her beauty and her the way her body was and like understanding what sexuality was and like all that sort of thing like what a body does specifically what the female body can do to ignite reaction towards from from others Mm. that was something I kind of learned in 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 at a very young age and um and then for myself I think I kind of realized that I had a body I mean I'm sure that there were earlier memories that I I was aware of that I had a body obviously but uh, that I you know I had arms or I had legs or I had this, you know, whatever it is. I had eyes. I remember just staring at myself in, in the mirror hmm. as a kid and just like looking through my eyeballs, just wondering well, yeah. kind of what those were and looking at my teeth. Cause I had a, I had a really big gap when I was a kid. Like I still have a gap, but when I was a baby, it was, it was much bigger. Just like looking at all these body parts and just wondering what they all were. But particularly when I was in, I think, fourth grade I remember um I mean how old are you in fourth grade are you like nine yeah something like that eight or nine something like that yeah I feel like it was maybe I was eight I was talking to my teacher and I just remember I was wearing like kind of like I was a kid so I was just wearing this like little tight like spandexy sort of shirt and I just remember kind of looking down and realizing that I had boobs (laughs) Mm. and being so ashamed of it and I like remember in that second crossing my arms like and and being just kind of traumatized and not knowing what to do about it and not knowing what it meant really other than I probably should be wearing a bra or something like that from what I had seen you know it was was my first time realizing that my body was sort of different than you know, that differentiation mm-hmm. you know, when you start to develop. And, and mm-hmm. I, was, I just remember being really traumatized by it. <laughs> and that's actually something that's not totally left me as an adult. Mm. I mean, there, it's really funny because I'm actually piecing it together as we talk. <laughs> um, there's like always, I, I get this like wash of discomfort when, um, Sometimes, not all the time, but like, it's just like this very deep, deep, deep part of me that comes up once in a while where I I kind of have this weird feeling in my body when I, when I realize, like when, when I, when I sense my, like, the way my body is shaped or like the fact that I do have breasts or like those sorts of things, It's, it's kind of like this very strange discomfort. Hmm. at the same time I'm also very comfortable in my body but I think it's that sort of acknowledgement as a child that and I like I also developed very early as a child I'm Sicilian I have a very curvy body as well and I just sort of developed really really quickly and so I I did look different than all my friends Mm. at my and um, for forever even even still even now I, I look different from a lot of my friends but um, yeah, it was just always something that I kind of felt a little uncomfortable with because I had like so much of 
these things. Mm. And it sounds yeah. like part of the shocking, like the, you know, I have a, a daughter who is 10 and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, it, it's very, your, so your story is really like resonant with me in a way because, you know, yeah. it's now, it's really striking to me that you, part of the shock and like, yeah, the shock, I guess, is just, you know, a natural, like it happens because we, our bodies start changing. But I think, it's all, it also sounds like you didn't really have a context at home or a like a space or a dialogue um, to kind of understand yeah. what was happening exactly or to prepare for it or to um, 100%. yeah yeah I mean I didn't I, I had an older sister like I said or I have and I also have three older brothers and the youngest of five oh, okay and um, yeah and by the time I kind of came around my parents pretty quickly got divorced after that point. And for the most, no, yeah. I mean, my mom, my mom was, I didn't live with my father. So it was just me and my mom and my parents are from Sicily. So they, I'm first generation and they, my mother didn't come from a background where you talked to your children (laughs) about anything really, especially about sexuality or bodies or anything I had to figure all of it out I had to figure out like what to do with my period when I got my period I had to Mm. figure out how to like get you know these sorts of things yeah Yeah. it just wasn't it wasn't that sort of environment for me so and and basically around that time my my brothers and my sister they all had moved out so in a sense I was like an only child Mm -hmm. it was just me you know figuring it out right and I didn't really know how to figure it out. So I just kind of like, I don't know, pieced things together or like learned from my friends or maybe my sister would like interject here and there. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was, it was a very difficult thing for me because I felt so confused about it all. You know, I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm I'm curious to hear sort of, you mentioned that some, some of these feelings like that kind of part of you, that, you know, nine-year-old part of you still like, I don't know, experiences some kind of disorientation or shock just at confronting your body at times. But it, but I wonder what, what stands out to you as some of the things that helped you to fill in the gaps as you have become an adult, you know, and like what, what has helped support you in, in kind of like creating a story or a narrative about yourself and your body and your sexuality and all of that? Like, what are the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think what you're asking is like, what, how, how did I learn about? Yeah. Like, about who, these things? Yeah, yeah. And how, what, yeah. like, yeah. Where did you turn? Like who, yeah. Who helped you? I what would, helped you? Yeah. I would say, I mean, kind of in that typical sense, movies, mm-hmm. um, music, um, kind of, uh, art, you know, like magazines. I read a lot of magazines as a kid. Um, and when you're younger, in a lot of ways, you kind of, you kind of, even still, you're, you're kind of told by the popular media of what uh, your body is, what it's supposed to do, what it's supposed to be for. Um, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it wasn't until I was a little bit, so, so basically, you know, kind of growing up, I, I felt like 
seeing my sister being super comfortable with her body, very comfortable with her body, very comfortable with her sexuality. My mother in the same way, very comfortable, well, comfortable in the sense of how to decorate it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, reading these magazines and watching these movies, I kind of grew up thinking like women are supposed to be really sexy. Yeah. And so I kind of fell into the place of understanding the power behind that Mm -hmm. and really, really kind of embodied that growing up because, you know, you get, you, you get this certain, you get this like certain type of attention because of that. And you're like reading in these magazines and watching these movies that say this is validation. And then you get that validation. And then you think that's, you know, what you're supposed to be. So I think it didn't really hit me until I was a little bit older. I moved out when I was pretty young. I was just barely 16 when I moved out. And I think it didn't hit me until I went to art school. Mm. And it kind of hit me at that point. When I when I graduated high school, I went to, a, even though I moved out, I, I went to a private school. I, I, kept, I kept going to my high school just because I figured it, why not? Um, but after graduation, I went to an art school. And that's, I think, when my, my world kind of opened up as far as counterculture mm. and understanding what that meant, you know, as far as identity goes or what identity could be. As I was starting to get towards graduation in high school, I I was starting to flow into these ways, but I didn't have an outlet. I didn't know Mm. those Mm -hmm. kids. I didn't know where those places were. I just knew that the music I was listening to was starting to move into these countercultures or, you know, into these different, different areas that the kids in my high school, my very, very small Christian high school were not aware of. And mm. so when I, when I graduated, I just expanded, I exploded. I just got really into like the goth and punk scene. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just was sort of like, I just went a little, I just went, I just went free. Basically. I just started dressing mm. crazy and painting masks on my face and, you know, wearing, just wearing the craziest things that I would make with my friends or, you know, find or whatever. And funny enough, I think that's kind of when like my experimenting with what being queer meant Mm. kind of, kind of came to be because in a lot of, you know, in a lot of ways, what I was, what I was playing with there was, very queer but I just didn't quite realize it yet I thought it was just like just another form of expression you know Mm -hmm, mm I just didn't understand what that expression actually was but you know really changing the way my body looked during that time too like altering everything um I mean piercing and tattooing and just like exposing or not exposing certain things that were very taboo in that sense, that was kind of when I think I really started diving into what my body meant, you know, mm-hmm. in, in an expression way. Um, were you, do you feel like you were, I mean, it sounds like you, you keep, you've used the word play, you know, like you were really playing with possibilities and stuff, but you know, were you also emulating, um, were there certain people that 
you were like, I, that's, that's who I want to be. Or, you know, like, I want to be just like that. Or was that part of it for you? I, I, I don't think it was, this has kind of been like an ongoing theme in my life where mm. it's, it's always been very difficult for me to pinpoint like one specific inspiration. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never, I never, I kind of envied those that had that in a sense mm. that were like, I know exactly like this is the thing that I, I, I want. This is the thing that I love or this is the thing that I want to be. Right. Um, yeah. I think I was just inspired by so many different things that I was yeah. kind of, it was just sort of like a melting pot of pulling from all those inspirations. And like, you know, you, you hang out with your crews of friends and you kind of inspire one another and you kind of play off of each other's thing. And I think I think because even at that time, I was also still very like insulated with what I was. I wasn't I wasn't totally I didn't have like a lot of friends. I didn't do a lot of different things. I kind of had like the few little things that I really liked to do, but I did those hard. Like I Mm -hmm. really went dove into those things. So. No, it wasn't like there wasn't one particular inspiration. There were so many inspirations. And I think a lot of it did come from music and a lot of it came from art because, you know, when at that age, around 17, I was like really, truly decided that I wanted to be an artist. And mm-hmm. so I, I just dove into that experimentation of just playing with as much as I could. Um, yeah. So it was just kind of all pushed around and came around to different yeah. areas and it just constantly evolved in something new. And just, you have, you had that, like, I had that like freedom and carelessness to be able to allow myself to sink into those different feelings and moods and inspirations and like whims basically, mm-hmm. you know, where were you doing this? Where was this happening? Like, what was the scene? Yeah, I was in Detroit. Um, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm from Detroit originally. Um, so it was a very, <laughs> I don't know if you know too much about that, like downtown Detroit, but it's kind of an ideal place for that because um, especially around the early nine, or I'm sorry, the early 2000s, um, around the time when I was hanging out down there, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was... Um, very experimental, very, very raw, very fun still, like very, uh, underground still. Like you, you didn't, you know, you didn't really know where to go unless you, you were kind of in the thing, you know, in the Mm -hmm. scene or whatever it was that you were in. So it was just really dangerous at times, but also, um, just, just kind of, just real it was like just actually happening you know in front of your eyes it was pre obviously pre-instagram pre-smartphone mm-hmm. um the internet was just sort of you know becoming like a bigger thing but it, I mean you maybe had friends or something or live journal right yeah um, right totally right yeah but like otherwise you know you were in it you weren't trying to just like create something to post on 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 mm-hmm. you know computer mm-hmm. but um you were like living it yeah you feel nostalgia for that time <laughs> I do every a lot a lot <laughs> almost mm-hmm. every day really um, for sure I mean 
I, it's, you know, I'm an, I'm, I'm an adult now and uh-huh. I love, you know, I love the things that I do and I'm so grateful that I have the freedom to support my life and support my bigger picture goals for sure. But, um, you know, there, there's a time, there was a time when my, my biggest goal was pining to be an artist and what I was going to, you know, where I was going to go out to and like what music I was going to listen to and mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know? So that's, that's definitely a special time. And I, I do try to incorporate some of those sorts of feelings into my life. So I don't feel too detached from it, but a time when you didn't care about, you know, building a business on social media or like, <laughs> yeah. you know, not even, that wasn't even a thought in your mind. Like that wasn't even a possibility or, you know, mm-hmm. just like, social media in general or like having to check emails or, you know, any of that stuff, just being in reality, mm-hmm. being in like the three-dimensional world a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely miss that a little bit, but mm. you can't, can't go back. <laughs> yeah. can't go back. And also <laughs> it seems like, you know, I mean, I'm curious to hear about, maybe how you do feel like you're incorporating some of the really, I don't know, from an aesthetic point of view or whatever, like what you are taking from that time and what you learned about yourself and, and how that is, is kind of still present in some ways in your life and business. um, Yeah. For sure. I think, you know, there's something really special about incubating yourself in in your things that you love, mm-hmm. you know, like, like your music or your art or whatever, like having that silence around you to not be distracted uh, to the, the, like easy, like the easy distraction of needing to check your email or whatever the case is, um, not, you know, not having that break of um, flow. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like at that age, I really developed with being in a flow statement because, um, I was really submerged in my art and my, you know, and my figuring out what my art was for myself or figuring out what I was into, you know, really submerged myself in so much music and so much, so much, so many experiences and so much art and those sorts of things that a lot of what I know now is because of that time. Mm. I definitely learn, you know, I definitely learn things. I'm very, I'm as most people are, I'm, I'm a very curious person. I'm, I'm still very interested in learning, but the things that really make me, make me who I am currently are hugely inspired by what I submerged myself into as, as a kid. I mean, my company, the aesthetics of it are spawned because of like my discovering Helmet Lang or discovering CK1 or like, you know what I mean? Like kind of discovering these like androgynous ideas of the early 90s. And and like, so that's something that really has bled through with me or like the the type of feeling that I try to, produced through through a lot of my work has has beginnings in that sort of time for me as well but you know it's just it's just kind of like the thread of what makes you you I'm sure that like there's a lot for yourself too that you still are very connected to 
during those times when you were in your, you know, mid teens or to, into your twenties. Cause it's just like when you discover your own taste, when you discover your, right. what turns you on, you know, yeah. like what, what turns your head in a real way, you know, mm-hmm. not just kind of what, what you've been told, you know, you what really you've been told. Yeah. It, it sounds like you know. especially powerful for you because of, because there's, there was some kind of like constriction of emotions and exposure to different things, you know, in your early childhood. And so I can imagine and can relate to also actually growing up very religious and uh, myself and in, Mm -hmm. uh, in Missouri and like really kind Mm -hmm. of going through that period of exposure to, whoa, the world is way bigger than I thought it was. And like, I have preferences and tastes and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, and I can see how, you know, just kind of like witnessing from afar, witnessing your, your, um, your business, you know, developing, I can see the ways that, you know, those influences that you're referring to, you know, kind of like that androgynous, you know, aesthetic and like the, the power of that really does visually connect to a time that that resonates for me too I'm and so maybe we could talk a little bit about you know kind of how you got to where you are with your business and um yeah tell folks a yeah. little bit about that and what it's like to be I don't know a business owner in LA and <laughs> all of that um right yeah I mean it's it's pretty crazy because when I moved to LA, I, I wanted, so I dropped out of art school. I thought I was going to be like a conceptual furniture designer. Mm. And I decided I found these, like these books that this famous makeup artist, Kevin Aquant, he had put these like beautiful makeup books out where he completely transformed his models. Um, and I, I was working at a thrift store and they came up to the register and I, I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, wait a minute, I can, I could do this for a job. Hmm. And I kind of decided like at that moment, I'm dropping out of art school. I don't want to be, I don't want people to tell me how to make my art. I want to, I, but I, but I can do this as a job and I know I could do, do well at it. So I dropped, I didn't drop out of art school. I just didn't, well, yeah, technically I did. I didn't go back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I finished that year and then I didn't, I didn't go back, but, um, I just started diving into doing makeup. And like I said, I had been doing quite a bit on my own self and my friends. And uh, just I was just developing this skill that I knew I actually had. And then when I decided to go full force, I was doing photo shoots and just really putting all of my energies into creating this skill. I mean, as a kid... I should have, I should have figured it would go into some direction like this. As a kid, I would run home to watch uh, Twilight Zone and fashion TV. Those were (laughs) the two things I watched back to back. And I, so I knew that I had like this, and and even that was a huge influence for me, you know, a kid living in Michigan, watching this show, this fashion TV show, where it was just like runway after runway after runway. And I was just mesmerized by the the like imagination behind it all. Um, and I, and I, and then when I became a makeup artist, I was really trying to kind of recreate that feeling for myself. And I knew I had to move out of Detroit to actually make a true career out of it because mm-hmm. there really wasn't 
and isn't a true market in Detroit for that. So I was like, all right, I got to go. And it was in between a few different places. And I was broke. I was like, I don't know, maybe 21 or 20. I think, yeah, I think I moved to LA when I was 22. And I, I almost moved to New York, but I didn't know anyone in New York. And you had to like pay a broker fee and, and like all these things that I had to move to New York with lots of money, which I didn't have. But at the time to move to LA, you needed nothing. It was Mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what, let me get some sunshine too. So let me get out of here. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I moved to LA and I, um, I was working for a makeup company at the time and eventually I left there to go freelance and signed with an agency and just started diving into being a true makeup artist in LA and then started going back and forth to New York, started doing the shows and and just doing all that. Cut to many, many, many years later, um, like 10 years down the line, I was just sort of, I was in between that time. I was working with some of the best people in the industry and making lots of money as a makeup artist. I couldn't believe that you could make that much, you know, that kind of money and Mm -hmm. really building a name for myself and a technique that people knew. And like, they knew they hired me that they would get very clean, very, you know, whatever aesthetic. And, um, I just, I just kept getting more and more clients and booking more and more jobs and I just started to become a robot (laughs) I started to get into autopilot Mm -hmm. and a few you know a few years down the line I was just like wait what the hell am I doing because I'm not doing what I thought I would be doing you know like I didn't move to New York I stayed in LA and it's a very different industry here and I just was like working six days a week and I had an art magazine because I needed to create an outlet for myself that was created but that was also a lot of work so I was just just a fucking workaholic basically and even after that point I was like wait what am I doing you know even with the magazine I was like losing sight of I think I was just outputting so much for everyone everyone else that I was sort of forgetting about my own creativity you know my own inspirations yeah, you were like doing the opposite of the incubation and the flow stuff. Yeah. You know, you're like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. I was very much like just kind of lost. Mm. So I I just um I started to ask myself lots of questions, you know, what was it that I wanted? What does inspire me? You know, all these sorts of things. I kind of was going through a lot of personal internal changes spiritually, like physically um, health wise, um, mm-hmm. just a lot of different things that I was discovering for myself. And it was kind of around the time and I was getting clients that were asking me more and more and more, like, especially specifically celebrity clients that were like, I only want natural. I only want organic makeup on me. I only want vegan makeup on me. I only want, you know, I had one client that went to the extreme of I had to boil beets to use as a lip stain for them on her right. lips. Like, wow. so it was just sort of like, what's going on here, you know? And, and so I started to develop, I started just mixing and making my own products uh, to use on mm. models and on set and with, and with my clients. And, and I, I also was using them on myself cause I was, I had like this crazy 
crazy, terrible, terrible, terrible skin throughout my entire twenties. And I couldn't figure Mm. out what was going on. I was eating, you know, I cleaned up my diet. I was really physically active. I was like doing all the things, but my skin was just not, not budging. And, Mm. um, and then kind of almost around 30 years when I was turning, like, I think I was like 29, I started to really make my own products. And um, I really started looking at the the wellness, clean beauty, if you will, industry at that time, specifically, it's like kind of like the more popularization of it. And I was just kind of really bored with it. Um, <laughs> and a little offended, you know, a little offended by it too, because it was extremely prestigious. It was extremely expensive. It was terribly designed and it was catered to boho chic white women that lived in like canyons, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And very obviously cisgendered straight. And I, I, you know, I was, I was, I wasn't a lot of those things. My friends that also cared about what they were putting on their body weren't those things. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that I knew weren't those things. And so that was kind of around the time when I was like, what am I doing with my life? What's my output? What am I working on that I care about? What's this like gap in the industry that I feel like maybe I could have, you know, shift and create a bit of a different platform for. And all these sorts of things came together. And, and I kind of was like, all right, I, mean, I, I almost, I almost quit the industry and I almost like walked away and just started something totally new. And I just, like maybe I maybe I can put these like ten plus years of serious experience into developing a new thing for myself. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different pulls came into play as to why I started my my line, I, and um, and then I, I started it, and it was it was I was so I was I was very fortunate. I obviously came from a background of the industry of those that would want to write about it or want to use it mm-hmm. or want to promote it, you know? So I had a lot of leverage in that space and I was using all of, all of that um, because I really believed that there were no voices for queer identified or, you know, people of color, um, just so many different places that, that the clean beauty industry was ignoring you know, creating a design that felt minimal and clean and didn't need to look like, like it was growing out of the ground necessarily with, but still having ingredients that grew out of the ground. So, um, Hmm. it just was really well received. I was really, and I was, I just started it honestly with like, it was just a couple hundred bucks made what I could, how I could, when I could, depending on who was ordering, just started out really, really, really small. I was like making it in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember flipping a tray over of just made like, like these highlighter pots that I make and like, just like highlighter flying everywhere. And just, just I'm sure you could probably still find it in my kitchen if you look deep enough, but like just it was very grassroots, very bootstrapped. And it just slowly picked up more and more and more. And I was slowly then able to like hire a team and slowly able to update my packaging. And and then now at this point, you know, we have systems and we have 
certifications and we have, it's just like, it kind of blows my mind to where we're at right now because it's, it's been almost to the day, four years. And that's kind of flown by mm-hmm. quite a bit, quite, quite quickly. And considering what we've achieved, honestly, probably in the last two years, because for the first two years I was still doing makeup full time and, and didn't really have much of a team. Um, so in the last like two years, we've really turned this company into a serious, real functioning company. And it's kind of crazy. And now we're opening a store in less than a week. Yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. It's, it's yeah. quite a story. I mean, it's really, it's really cool. And I, you know, I think part of the, the reason that I wanted to talk to you and hear your story has to do with the way in which you are positioned at the crossroads of this, like something that I work, you know, around, which is the, the kind of clean, clean slash wellness industry that is very offensive and alienating and creates all sorts of problems. And yet for a lot of people, and yet it's also, you know, some of the principles are, are things that, you know, are, have like a lot of integrity and really matter. And I, I guess, you know, you're at the crossroads of that and also being queer, promoting, you know, like a line of, you know, beauty products, adornment, like for, all people. It's like a unisexual kind of thing, you know? And yeah. that, that just feels like a very interesting intervention for me. And clearly to a lot of other people who are really into your, into your line, but I, has it been hard to kind of, I don't know, like continually assert or stay, stay kind of focused on, I don't know, like the weirdness or the strangeness or the the kind of like intervention that you're you're yeah. doing or engaging in. Well, I mean, to be honest, I feel like we could get so much weirder and we can get so much mm. stranger and we can get so much real with it, so much more real with it. I think um I don't think it's too difficult for me to do that. I'm I, I want to do that. I want to push the boundary even more. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think that in the beginning I, uh, wasn't pushing the boundary enough and I was trying to truly appeal to like everyone and make it feel very like neutral in that sense. But I wasn't pushing the boundary where it should be. It felt, it still felt very like, it didn't feel like my, my true messaging. And funny enough, it was like around the time when Trump started running for presidency, I was like, what the fuck's going on? Like, I gotta, I gotta quit doing everything and run, you know, run for office or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. But, um, at around that, and then I was like, okay, let's relax. What can I actually do? And that was when we launched our agenda oil. And this is an oil that I made that specifically for like any hair that you decide to grow, pubic hair, underarm hair, leg hair, head hair, face hair, whatever hair. And it is also our, um, it's a product that we make that we donate a percentage of profits from our direct sales towards rotating organizations and generally a lot having to do with um, the queer community. Mm-hmm. And I, that was a wake up call for me where I was like, stop trying to make everyone happy and 
push your message even harder, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like around the time we started using a lot of the models that we use are friends of mine or people that have not become friends of mine, but like that's when we started using more trans models or, or non-binary models like that specifically for me, I thought was something we weren't, um, celebrating enough and um so now that's definitely like a focal point for me in every single photo shoot I want to include everybody you know non-binary trans individuals like cisgendered people whatever you know whatever feels right for the shoot Mm -hmm. I want to include everybody and I I do so that's kind of that's I feel like there's a lot of brands out there that are trying to play the gender fluid role right now and it's just, it's, it's cool that you, that you want to include everyone, but like when you come to the top of understanding where that's coming from, like who's behind the brand, is it, you know, is it a person, is it a corporation, whatever the case is, like, what is their belief? Like where, where are they actually spending their money? Where are they taking money from? Mm-hmm. And are they trying to just like kind of pimp out this concept or, or is this actually something that they truly are embodied in where, you know, for us, that's obviously, and I do believe that there are also brands out there that do embody that for sure. Um, but like in addition to us, and that's something that we live eat, and breathe. I mean, my whole, you know, I would say 90% of my team is queer identified and we're very inclusive, not only, you know, in the imagery that we create, but also, my actual team you know Mm -hmm. and um it it has to be for me when you claim these things it's it's great to be holistic in it where it's kind of system you know systematically like streaming into everything that it touches um so so there's like a true authenticity and a, a real personal message behind it you know what I mean right yeah you're I mean you use the word embodiment like you're you're implicated in this and the people that work for you are are kind of implicated in these communities um part of it seems you know part of what you're doing is kind of as you said like sort of bringing visual awareness to all kinds of bodies and all kinds of ways of adorning those bodies and caring for those bodies, but specifically queer, trans, non-binary people of color that, but that that is not something that you're kind of like leveraging because that's the new thing in the wellness field or wellness space. Totally. And, and, you know, and it's also like the way I try to do it is also not screaming it either so there's like there's so many ways of doing it you know there's there's to to be extremely like loud about it which is also cool and fun and and exciting to do and that was another thing that I I also wasn't really seeing where it was like can you can you all can you also swing the other way and have a brand that doesn't need to necessarily scream that how it identifies basically, you know what I mean? Can it, can it also be natural and minimal and Mm -hmm. and sleek in in that way and also still be very queer, you know? Right. I feel like I wasn't really seeing a lot of that either. Um, because you know, I, like I said to you earlier, like I identify in so many different ways, even still, like I, my mood and my, 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 my inspirations and the way I visually identify myself into the world changes pretty frequently. And 
I kind of wanted to create a brand that felt like it could be a chameleon as well, you know, mm-hmm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, not to be reductive about it, but it's, it's like the difference between slapping like a pride flag on a product or a store window and really like having some of the nuances. I think that's what is so interesting to me about in some ways about your kind of your whole project is that it feels very nuanced. I think that it's, it's bringing attention to kind of the nuanced ways in which queer, all kinds of queer people sort of present themselves or have needs. You know, I love that like this oil is for like every kind of hair, you know, wherever it's growing and for whomever it's growing for. um, Like, yeah, there's just, there's a kind of real consideration of the complexity and as you said, the kind of chameleon like nature of being queer. Um, Mm-hmm. Like being queer to me does not, is not about a pride flag. Um, that's like, right. so it just feels like the, a very reductive narrative. Whereas I think what you're, you're sort of talking about is this like really, yeah, like a more expansive and complex narrative of queerness. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's like, you know, we like, we like to say as well, like, um, there's a way of kind of creating activism through identity and mm. um, we want people to feel like they can do that with, with our product because mm. when, when you're, when you're buying into our, my product, it's not necessarily, yes, it can be, you're buying it because it's good and it works really well and you like how it smells and how it feels, but you're also supporting the message. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's, it's like you're supporting the message you're supporting you're connecting with what we support as far as like what the agenda oil supports you know let's say if it's Planned Parenthood or if it's like the LGBTQ center or you know whatever the case is and you're you're you know you're supporting a bigger picture and and when you you know pull the product out and you put it on you may connect with somebody that might be standing nearby and they you know also connect with that message or they know what that product is you know what I mean right and and I I want people to feel like empowered because of that and I want them to feel connected to something that they're buying not only for practical reasons but for personal reasons and maybe even political reasons or Mm -hmm. you know whatever whatever that kind of resonates with for them on a real level yeah 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 yeah. I love that so you know, we're about out of time. I, I want to ask you, um, one more question and then we'll get to kind of how people can find out about you and your products and all that. Um, but I guess if we could go back to that, like nine, eight or nine year old version of you, (laughs) is there something that you would want to say to that kiddo now looking back, knowing all the things that you know now, um, like, when there's so many look, things that I yeah want to tell like when you look down at your I mean, body and in shame yeah. or shock or horror um yeah. what do you think you'd want to convey? Yeah. I would I would probably try to tell myself to learn how to love love that body and 
and feel good in that body and, and not be embarrassed to that body. Um, you know, as soon as mm-hmm. I could, <laughs> because mm-hmm. there was definitely like many, many years where I was pretty abusive to, to my body. Um, mm-hmm. and if I could somehow, you know, op- open up my eyes to let myself know that it doesn't matter, you know, like the things that when you're a kid, these little nuances that you, you're like, oh my God, my butt's big. It's the end of the world <laughs> or whatever right. the case right. is, you know, because the world is telling you if you have a big butt that you don't literally, quite literally don't fit in, but it doesn't actually matter. It's not that big of a deal. And if I could, if I could teach myself how not to feel like it's as big of a deal as I made it out to be, I probably could have saved myself many, many years of stress as a child Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. connect to my body in a, in a spiritual loving way. You know, Uh, if I could, if I could have taught myself how to care for my body and love it and treat it truly like a temple, as some may say, um, I would like to do that for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And now we get to talk about how people who are listening can find out about you and everything you do. What's what's new? Yeah. Like I kind of hinted at, we're opening a store Mm -hmm. um, in Highland Park in Los Angeles um, in a few days. And that's going to be really fun. It's going to be obviously a no-to store, but it's going to have a selection of personally curated other, other items that I really love. Um, and a lot of the makers are POC or queer identified and I'm really excited about sharing space for events and community and those sorts of things. So, um, definitely keep your ears open for that. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's obviously you can find Noto Botanics online all over the place on Instagram, mm-hmm. on Facebook, on all those things. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so those would be, I think, the main things to keep your eyes out open for. Great. Well, I'm really excited for the people listening who don't already know about all your <laughs> what you're doing to check it out. And, and yeah, I, again, just really appreciate you being here and kind of sharing your story. I think it's especially poignant for you know, people who can relate to the sort of like professional journey, professional creative journey that you've taken. Um, I think it's really helpful to hear stories about people who ask themselves questions like, what do I really want to be doing now? And I just became a robot and now I'm like really just reflecting on that and how those kinds of reflections can actually lead to, you know, more clarity about things that you want and yeah. want to do. Yeah. And so I just, I'm really struck by that and I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, so thank, thank you, you so yeah, much. Yeah. You always gotta, you always gotta check in with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. Mm-hmm.